Can you feel it? Oh, I'm feeling it. We are back. It's been a long time. It's been about eh, three months now, I'd say. We've been busy. There's not been a whole lot to talk about, but we're back. Yeah, I'd say it's about time we get back here. We got, what, two days until the first preseason game. Training camp is, is rolling, so I think it's a good time for us to come back. Yeah, we were gonna do uh, we were gonna do a podcast maybe once or twice throughout the summer, but uh, nothing ever really came together. You were busy, I was busy. There wasn't a whole lot to talk about, anyways. But now we can convalesce all that news into a into a few talking points here at the beginning and and get back get back to it. Um, first of all, it's great to be back, man. Feels good. Uh, not gonna lie, it feels kind of weird. We haven't done one of these in a while, but. Yeah, uh, one in a while, that's for sure. I think it's time for us to get back here and start talking Bengals. Yeah, um, you know, a little bit of Reds, but mostly Bengals. A month from today, the pigskin flies in Cincinnati with the Minnesota Vikings in town to face the Bengals. How does that feel? Honestly, it feels like this offseason has lasted about three years. So, you know, I can't wait till September 12th, uh, 1 p.m., Paul Brown Stadium. Joe Burrow's return. Well, his really first game with a full capacity with fans. So, yeah. And we will, we will talk plenty, plenty about Joe Burrow uh, today, but first of all, I think it is worthwhile to kind of go through a recap of, of what all has happened in these last three months. Um, I guess we could go chronologically or we could just go in the order of, of things as they come to our head. Um, might as well start chronologically. Uh, any thoughts you still have on the schedule? Um, we were going to do a podcast talking about that, but it's a schedule, so it really didn't seem like it was worthwhile to spend 40 minutes talking about a schedule. Um, but do you have any lasting thoughts on that? Obviously, we said open the season with Minnesota at home, um, but do you have any other thoughts sort of on how the schedule shook out for the Bengals? So what I, I remember we, were, uh, we watched the schedule reveal together, uh, and I think that, you know, starting the season at home is important uh, to try to get, you know, generate interest from Bengals fans. Say they win week one against the Vikings at home. Joe Burrow plays well. I think that means more fans come back later in the season. I think opening with the Vikings helps because you're not – I mean, they could have opened up with the Chiefs like the Browns are. They could have opened up with the Packers. I think it could have been a lot harder of a game week one. I'm not saying the, Vi the Vikings are a good team. Dalvin Cook's good, but I'm saying – it could have been a lot harder. And I also think that early in the season, there are some very winnable games that could, that could either make or break the Bengals season. No, I totally agree with you. Um, it's definitely a favorable schedule from the point that it kind of allows Joe Burrow to get his feet wet uh, early in the season. Um, and then late in the season, they are stacked with uh, games at home, which is good. I think uh, I don't have the schedule in front of me right now, but uh, it stands to reason, I believe, they leave the state of Ohio twice after the bye week, which is phenomenal. Um, middle of the season bye week again, which is always helpful. Uh, never want it too early, never want it too late. Um, one primetime game, one which we're going to be attending. Um, the Thursday night game against Jacksonville on September 30th, we will be there. Uh, Ring of Honor night. Um, but yeah, I, I think it shook out pretty well for the Bengals just from a standpoint of not being, uh, not having any long road trips. They don't really go out to the West coast very often. I think they have two trips, uh, out West, which would be Denver and Vegas. Um, so yeah, I think we, we summed it up pretty well. It shook out pretty well for the Bengals. And, and I think if you're Joe Burrow, you're pretty happy with, uh, 
early in the season getting some teams that aren't phenomenal pass rush teams, talking about Jacksonville, Green Bay. Detroit is relatively early in the season. They suck, so. Yeah, MCDC, Motor City, Dan Campbell. We'll see how he gets those boys to play in Detroit, but that should be a a, a very winnable game. Yeah, yeah. Lots of winnable games early. Um, for those of you that are curious about the sort of thing, it's it goes Minnesota uh, at home, Chicago on the road, and then Pittsburgh on the road the first three weeks. So three very winnable games, as you and I both think the Steelers aren't going to be uh, what they have been this year. So definitely three very winnable games uh, coming right off the bat um, to start. Um, but going back to – that Thursday night game that we will be attending also announced uh, this offseason was the two additional Ring of Honor uh, inductees. And no surprise, it was Ken Anderson and Ken Riley. Uh, Ken Anderson, obviously, arguably and most likely the best quarterback in Bengals history. And Ken Riley, uh, the Rattler, um, should be both of these guys should be in Canton. Um, but finally, both getting the uh, the honor that they deserve from the Cincinnati organization. What are your what are your thoughts on, on how that shook out? I mean, we talked about this before on one of our podcasts who we thought should, you know, should be in it before it was announced. And we both said, well, I mean, I said, I, I think you agree with me that um, if the Bengals did have a ring of honor, they would already be in. So I think that getting them in first is kind of, you know, it's kind of just respecting them as Bengals legends. And I think that as easily hands down the best DB in Bengals history and arguably um, the best quarterback in Bengals history. I think you need to get them in first just because of how, you know, how long ago they played, but also how good they were. Yeah. Now where does Pac-Man Jones stand on that list of best Bengals defensive backs? Um, <laughs> you know, sadly, and I say this sadly, he's probably top, top 20 of all time. It's kind of sad. Yeah. Not good. Not good. But um, yeah. Both guys certainly deserving of this honor. Uh, it's a real shame Ken Riley uh, has passed away, and so this will be a, a posthumous honor for him, which which is um, sad, but it, it's, it's a long time coming for both guys. And with the 2022 class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, there's probably three guys that you could argue are first ballot Hall of Famers. I think there is definitely uh, an increased chance that we see Ken Riley and Ken Anderson potentially getting in in 2022 uh, from that senior committee vote. So I, th I think this is very helpful from that aspect to give them that recognition this season and push forward those votes, uh, hopefully in Canton. Yeah. And it's, and I think for Ken Riley, it's really important because I mean, he's top five all time in interceptions in NFL history. So I think that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe some people have forgotten about him and then this, you know, this, award and honor will get his name back out there no yeah he he is one of the most underappreciated players of all time yes like you said 65 career interceptions uh which is tied for fifth all time as you said and i think everybody else in the top 10 for career interceptions is in the hall of fame so the fact that he isn't is 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 such an aberration um Let's see here. At the age of, I knew that this is what I was looking for. At the age of 36, he had an eight interception season. I, I mean, that's just. He was Charles Woodson before Charles Woodson was Charles Woodson. So I don't know. Unbelievable. He had two pick sixes in that season as well. What a season that was. That's when they still only, he played 14 games that season, eight interceptions, two pick sixes, a fumble recovery. That's a hell of a year. And that was when he was 36. That was a 36-year-old season. So, yeah, you won't find any debate from us here. Uh, both of those guys certainly deserving that honor. And I, I think I can speak for both of us when I say we are extremely excited to be able to be in attendance for that game. And um, it will be also the 40th year anniversary of the 1981 Super Bowl. Uh, AFC Championship team will also be in attendance that night, which will be great to see a bunch of those players um, as well in, in attendance for, for that event. Um, so moving on, um, kind of getting away from, uh, events and more to actual current year news. Um, I guess the first thing to talk about in, in the chronological order of the off season is 
the Bengals hitting the threshold required by the NFL to to lift all uh, restrictions. The Bengals have over 90 percent of their players vaccinated, which, you know, we're not a politics podcast. We're not going to talk about whether you should or shouldn't get the vaccine. But uh, in the NFL lens, it means a great deal for you to have a lot of players vaccinated. The Bengals do very helpful for the team this year. No. Oh, I think, you know, in regardless of whatever you believe, I think that, you know, the way it is, the the NFL or the NFL's threshold and the Bengals meeting that really helps them and gives them the gives them a competitive advantage that they really need. So I think that it's, you know, it's beneficial for them to not have all those restrictions and not have people have to sit out if somebody gets in contact. Yeah. Um, among some of the restrictions that get lifted, you're allowed to do full team weights, um, which is very helpful. You're allowed to be all together in one locker room with no, uh, uh, dividers between the lockers. So it kind of helps build that team chemistry. Um, and then there are no restrictions, uh, on travel. So you can see family and friends when you're traveling on a road trip. Um, it just allows for more freedom of movement among the players, um, and that's a really, really, really positive thing, especially when we hear during training camp about Lamar Jackson having a an, another positive test. Um, and the Bengals' week one opponent, um, if this is still the case, if last week's news held the same, the Vikings had the lowest uh, vaccination rate in the NFL. So could be looking at a potential competitive advantage there in week one if any contact tracing issues were to arise. But I think point of the story is it is so helpful to have uh, everybody for the most part vaccinated and, and everybody is allowed to live kind of a more normal lifestyle this season. Uh, and, and hopefully that helps the players. Yeah. And I, I, you're right. It's just the freedom of movement. And I think it's, it takes their minds off of, you know, having to worry about, you know, contact tracing or, seeing family members. I think, I think it's very important that they meet the threshold. So, yeah. Uh, moving on. Um, I think the two biggest pieces of Bengals news over, I guess we'll just move all the way into training camp now. So we'll just talk about training camp as one whole shish kebab. So beginning of training camp, we get the news, the, probably the best news possible. Uh, and that is that Joe Burrow, DJ Reader, and Trey Hopkins, and Trey Waynes are all fully cleared. Just amazing news, um, especially for Trey Hopkins and Joe Burrow. Yeah, I was going to say, so Trey Hopkins, I'm kind of surprised he's fully cleared now. Uh, he Very surprised. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think he came back quicker than I thought, and I think that's awesome. He's going to be a big part of our offensive line this year. And obviously, I mean, we'll talk about Joe Burrow a little bit more, but I think Joe Burrow being fully cleared physically, I don't know about mentally yet, how, how good he is mentally yet, but physically, I think that's important. And I also think that <clears throat> DJ Reader and um, Trey Waynes is really important for our defense because I think it's two veterans that could, that could uh, you know, add some swag and add some um, experience to some, some younger guys that are going to uh, get some snaps this year. Yeah, and we don't know yet uh, whether or not DJ Reader is going to play this preseason. I would lean on him. I would expect him not to play in the preseason, um, but you don't really know. I fully expect that Trey Hopkins will not take a snap uh, of live ball in the preseason. And then I think the biggest question of the preseason is, should Joe Burrow play in the preseason, and will he play in the preseason? That, I mean, that's a tough question because you, you hear reports that he's not sure about his knee yet and the season's, you know, a month away. So I think if he gets enough reps in practice um, and he gets his reps in and, you know, he reads those defenses in practice. I mean, he, I, I read it, I listened to his last interview and he said that he just needs to connect the physical and the mental again. He needs to connect, you know, his reads with his feet, you know, and his throwing again. And I think that that could be done through, training camp and reps in practice it doesn't necessarily have to come in a preseason game where you could you know risk injuring him when it really doesn't matter yeah and and that's the decision that this Bengals organization is going to have to face Joe Burrow wants to play in the preseason and and that just speaks volumes to the type of player and the type of um, leader that he is on the team 
the fact that he wants to play in the preseason says a lot about him. And I respect that. Um, they've already ruled him out for Saturday night. He's not going to play in Tampa Bay. And I'm perfectly fine with that because one, their defense is really good. So uh, I wouldn't want him going against their ones anyway. Um, and then just looking ahead, the I cannot see them rolling him out there in Washington at the site of the injury. I can't see that happening. No, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't even make the trip. Yeah. Um, I think the most likely scenario is we see him for a series, maybe two against Miami. Um, but even that I don't think is very likely because I think at this point, especially with the quote unquote rust that we've seen from him in training camp, I don't think, and the offensive line is far from being sorted out, and we'll get to that in a second. I don't think that there is a logical reason to allow him to play in the preseason unless you have, unless by, I think if that, if by that Miami game that they have their five guys on that offensive line who they think, okay, these are the guys we're going to roll with against Minnesota, I think then maybe you let him play a series. But if you're going to be rolling out and still having that revolving door going at right guard, uh, I just – it does not make any sense to me to have that have that happen. No, I agree. And that's – I mean, that's a whole other issue if that revolving door keeps going on through the season when games matter. But, yeah, I think I think they need to buy as much time as possible for him to get more comfortable in practice. Because I think – you know, I, mean, I think he's going to get there because, you know – everybody that you talk to or everybody that you hear talk at the Bengals says his work ethic is unbelievable. So I think he's going to get back, you know, to where his mentally or mentally where he was. But I think that you don't put him in front of a revolving door offensive line in the preseason. Yeah. Risk. Yeah. And, you know, in that interview he had yesterday, he made sure to point out that the offense has, has started to kind of gain some steam after looking a bit, bit rusty in the beginning. So I, I guess we can shift over to that talking point now. Um, I don't think either of us expected Joe Burrow to step right in and immediately be what he was against Tennessee, against Indianapolis, against Cleveland last year. Um, that being said, I think it was a little, a little concerning um, hearing just about the overall discombobulation of the offense at the beginning. Um, but it seems like they've gotten stuff on track. Just kind of what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I, I know you, you've been through training camps, obviously not in the NFL, but you've been through training camps. And, and so you have uh, a better opinion on sort of how offense comes together as training camp goes along. So just kind of what are your thoughts on, on the early, I guess you could put it struggles that the offense had. Yeah, so I feel like every in every training camp, no matter what level of all time, the defense is usually ahead of the offense. And I think that that's something important to learn, uh, not learn, but, you know, just just understand, because um, I think offense takes, you know, more installing and more. I don't know, more time to get to get down than some some defensive schemes and units do. But I also think it's important that the Bengals are getting steam because I think that shows that, you know, people on that offense, especially Joe Burrow, who's the leader of that, have some adversity. Because if you get smacked in the face for the first week, week and a half of training camp, and then you come back and you start getting some steam, that shows that, you know, you're installing stuff, you're learning stuff. Everybody's starting to get on the same page, which is really, really important in the NFL. Because, I mean, we've seen some offenses in the past. You know, I'm trying to think. Sam Darnold's rookie year, Jared Goff's rookie year, and the ramp. It felt like you were watching, like, a you know, a high school offense. So yeah. I think it's really important to, you know, if you do struggle in, in the middle of training camp, I think it's important that you gain steam. Yeah. And I think this was a quote that a quote that Dusty Baker maybe always used to use when talking about teams finding their level, you know, water always finds its level. And this offense was good last year uh, once it got clicking. And so I could lie and say, I was not concerned for the first three or four days of camp hearing about all these false starts, all these drop balls, all this miscommunication. But I was never to the point where I was legitimately concerned that this offense had lost themselves. Um, you just knew with the talent they have on that side of the ball, it was going to come together at some point. And it looks like it's starting to come together as Joe Burrow, like you said, 
connects those mental and physical aspects of his game again. I think it's going to start to come together. And we still have, like we said at the beginning, we still have a month until the Bengals need to worry about how their offense is really performing. Yeah, um, they, yeah, they still have hundreds of reps of practice, maybe, you know, maybe into the thousands of reps of practice over the next month. Uh, Joe, Joe in his interview said they have what, since his last interview, 25 more practice days till Minnesota. Yeah. So I think they just, they have plenty of time to get this thing figured out. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, I would say that even them being uh, slightly uh, off course or slightly out of the loop when it comes to the offense that they want to play, that offense is still better than six or seven offenses in the NFL. Um, So it's not something where it's like, oh my God, this is going to be 20, 2019 all over again with, with uh, that offense. No, this offense will be fine. No worries. And it does really, I think, speak volumes to the improvements made on the defense as well. Yeah. I was, I was just, I was just going to say that I think that the Bengals, I mean, they made a lot of defensive upgrades this off season. And I say upgrades because usually just people use or have additions. So it's, you know, just same level, but I think they have a lot of upgrades this year on their defense that they brought in. And I think that's really, really important because it just shows that, hey, this Bengals offense could be really, really good. And if this defense is stopping them, you know, basically halting them in, in, in training camp, that, that that shows me some promise. Yeah. And so speaking of the defense, I think the, the, the biggest piece of news about this defense going on right now is that Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt appear to be having amazing training camps. Uh, Logan Wilson is wearing the green dot this year. So he's the, he's play calling on the defense, which to me, having a second year linebacker uh, calling the defense is um, it just speaks volumes to what the coaching staff thinks of him, which is great um, because we saw what he could be last year and Jermaine Pratt's been having a really good camp. So, and I think that linebacker ever since, they moved on from the perfect Malaluga era of linebacking play. There has been a, a void of, of just bad, bad linebacker play. What do you think it's going to take for these guys to take that next step this season, Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt in particular? So I think, well, I mean, one thing that we've known for the Bengals in the past couple of years is that they can't stop the run. So I think that it's going to be very important so I, I, I see Logan Wilson as more – I know he had a couple picks last year on a couple tip balls, but I, 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 Logan Wilson's a little bigger, so I could see him stopping the run a little more. And then I could see Jermaine Pratt, you know, kind of being like a rangy linebacker, you know, playing a little more coverage. But I think it's important for them to take the next step because Jermaine Pratt, I mean, he, he, he's playing for basically another contract. And then Logan Wilson is playing, you know, to get – to get um, not another contract now, but I think to solidify himself as a piece of the Bengals linebacking core for the next couple of years. So, so I think that it's important for both of them to take that step this year, because I think if they don't perform well this year, then the Bengals would definitely look to solidify that linebacker spot in the draft in the next yeah. couple of years, if they, if they can't take that step. Yeah. And so do you, so you do think this is, and, and I think this is, this is kind of a dumb question this is a make or break year for Jermaine Pratt it, that, for Jermaine Pratt. Absolutely. Yeah. He's got to do it this year. I think I, I agree with you on that. Um, but I mean, even looking at the back end of the room, they didn't bring back uh, Josh Bynes. Josh Bynes actually just signed with Carolina the other day, um, which do you think not having a true veteran presence in that linebacker room will um, maybe lead to a few more boneheaded errors this season? You know, to be fair, I'm fine with the boneheaded airs if the young guys get more reps. I think that Josh Bynes is great for the room, but I, I mean, he's not in the future plans and he's taking away reps from game reps from younger guys who would benefit from them, I think, much more than Josh Bynes would. Or, you know, if you bring in another veteran, I think it, I think it's better for the young guys to get reps now, see what you have. And if you have to replace them, replace them later. But I think you can't, you don't know unless they get full starter reps at the linebacker position in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you look at the back end of the room, Marcus Bailey is supposedly having a great camp, which is good to hear. Um, Jordan Evans is the all all time special teamer guy for the Bengals, which, 
he is perfect in that role. He'll probably get two or three snaps um, in the defensive formation every game. Uh, and then I think kind of the wild card, and I want to hear about your expectations for him this season, um, Akeem Davis-Gaither. It doesn't seem like we've heard a whole lot about him in this camp. So what do you think his role is going to be uh, this season? Because last year, as you well know, they sort of used him as a rush linebacker, um, which kind of seems where he's most kind of seems to be where he's best suited uh, is in that rush position. Um, but just kind of what do you expect his role to be this season? Cause it seems like he, for being uh, a guy that they gush about and talk about how much they love his athletic ability, he seems to be sort of the odd man out in that room right now. So just what do you think about that? Yeah. So, I mean, you just said it, he's, I think easily the most athletic linebacker that we have on our roster. I think he brings a lot to the table, but I think with the, with, with the scheme, the Bengals run, he's kind of a, he's kind of left out because is he big enough to put his hand in the dirt and play D end? Is he, you know, technical enough to play linebacker and, you know, fill, fill the gaps and stuff like that. I, I feel like he's just kind of a floater. And I think that, you know, he looks bigger. I saw pictures of him. I think he looks bigger this year. So could he take over, you know, that Carl Lawson role? Because Carl Lawson only weighed 245, 250. Yeah. So I think, you know, could, could you experiment with that? I think you could. I think he's also athletic enough to play linebacker and cover. So I think it, I think it's just going to depend on where they need him the most. And if there's injuries, I think he'll, he'll fill into a role that way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think his role will be an interesting one to see kind of how that plays out. And just the defense as a whole, having guys like Akeem Davis-Gaither really allows them to be multiple in, in what they do. Um, Ricardo Allen's another guy that allows them to be multiple in what they do. Um, and speaking of Ricardo Allen, just moving on to the secondary really quick. And I think a piece of news that came out, that was probably Tuesday, I think. Um, the Jesse Bates extension talks don't appear to be progressing to a point where uh, a deal should be expected. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Jesse Bates? Well, first of all, let's just talk about, let's just put this on the record. The Bengals secondary is going to be really good this year. Um, I think, I, I, and we, I, mean, we, I think we talked about this before. Um, the PFF rating or rankings for Jesse Bates and Von Bell, like they're, they're pretty, I mean, they're ranked. I mean, they're seen as a pretty good duo. And then you throw Ricardo Allen in there. I mean, they could be pretty good. Yeah. Von Bell appears to have worked out some of those kinks with him uh, not being a great cover guy. And once, if, if he can even be average at covering tight ends, this secondary is going to take a leap forward because all signs from camp. I mean, we all know the Bengals have a stud cast of receivers. All signs from camp say that Chidobe Awuja and Trey Wayne's have been all over these guys. Well, let's talk about the most important. I, mean, I think I think the bring most him up. Bring him up, Mike Hilton. I think yep. I, I I think that he is going to bring an edge to the defense, and I think he's going to be a great slot guy. I think he can. I mean, I think it, I mean he can play. He could guard on the outside too, but yeah. I think he, he's going to be the Pac-Man Jones without the drama that we need. Yeah. He, Mike Hilton, I think was, you know, DJ reader is a great player, good leader in the locker room. Mike Hilton's the best free agent signing that the Bengals have made while Zach Taylor has been the coach. He brought over that loaf chart from Pittsburgh, which first of all, says a lot about what the Bengals were before that, that um, they didn't have a system like this in place. That's why the Bengals won six games the past two seasons because they didn't have the loaf chart in place. But I mean, you, you played you played for a coach that loved to use the word loaf in, in in his language, so you know exactly what a loaf is. And so it's great that he has brought Mike Hilton has brought this system over from Pittsburgh, and it's great that it has taken root uh, in the system. And I think you know Von Bell talking to the media the other day it is evidently clear that he was quote unquote subtweeting some people from last year's team talking about pointing fingers and not hustling. 
And I would just like to say that the, the guys he's talking about are William Jackson, the third and Carlos Dunlap. So having those guys out of the building and bringing in a presence like Mike Hilton, uh, bringing in a presence like Trey Hendrickson, both guys with motors who just play uh, does a lot for this defense. Well, I mean, they have motors and they play hard, but also you got to think about they're, they're coming from winning cultures. So yeah. I, I think that's important too. I think the winning culture aspect is important because, I mean, you could play hard, but I mean, I'm sure there's tons of guys that play hard on that 0-16 Lions team, yep. but that doesn't mean that it leads to winnings. But I think that they have a high motor and know what it takes. Yeah. The Bengals have made a commitment uh, this offseason to who they want to be as a defense. They want to be relentless, punch you in the mouth, take your lunch, push you down, knock you in the dirt, and kick your ass for 60 minutes. Uh, they extend Sam Hubbard, who probably plays the hardest of anybody on that defense. They bring in a guy of uh, Trey Hendrickson's stature, who all of the scouting reports on him talk about, you know, he doesn't have the greatest move set, but his motor is second to none. Mike Hilton is a uh, spark plug in that defense. And then on the back end, you've got, just two guys that work their ass off in Von Bell and Jesse Bates. Um, I could not be happier with the direction this defense is going. And from training camp, as we said earlier, it looks like the defense has taken that step forward. Now we yeah. haven't played anybody outside of guys in stripes, but I think once the helmets get put on and the chin straps get strapped on September 12th, I think we will see a different defense than we've yeah. seen the past two years. And, and, I, and I think it's, I mean, if we're being completely honest, the bar is pretty damn low Yep. <laughs> for, for expectations. I mean, last game we went to, the Ravens game, they ran for 400 yards. So yeah. my expectations, honestly, if we even have, I think with this offense, if they start clicking, if we even have the 14th, 15th best defense in the NFL, I think it's going to be a pretty good year. Yep. All they need to do is be average because but last to, year – to that point, I think they can be above average because of the guys they have, but they just need to be average. Last year, they lost so many games because of the defense. Think about it. The second Cleveland game, uh, Darius Phillips. Uh, the Indianapolis game. Um, what was the other one? The, um, the, the Eagles game when they couldn't get a stop. I mean, there were – and there were a couple other examples throughout the season last year where the defense just – the defense couldn't beat its way out of a paper bag. Um, and so hopefully that's changed this year. It looks like it has. Um, and the Bengals are rewarding that commitment to guys with high motor and high work ethic, extending Sam Hubbard for four years, $40 million. Um, and working on an extension with Jesse Bates. So let's talk about the Sam Hubbard extension first, and then we can have a discussion about the news about Jesse Bates. So the Sam Hubbard, keeping him in Cincinnati was a top priority. Uh, I love that for them. Just what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, I think 10 mil a year for a guy like Sam Hubbard. I, I, and I haven't looked at the guaranteed money, but I'm sure he'll play out that contract in Cincinnati. Yes. So it really doesn't matter about the guaranteed money, but. Um, and he's got, he's got the best uh, 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 run play win rate among defensive ends. Is that, do I, am I having? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I saw that. I saw that stat. Also, I think that keeping him in Cincy, it, it's great for the culture for the next four years. And I think that, you know, it, it's nice to see that they reward guys who work hard, but working hard isn't everything. You just have to produce on the field. And I think it'll give guys more incentives to work hard and try to produce on the field. Yeah. I mean, first of all, Sam Hubbard was injured last season. So we can kind of throw it out. He was basically playing with one arm against some of the best offensive lines in the NFL. His, what would that be? 20, was it 18 or 19? Let me pull up his stats. He had a, a really good season, maybe both years actually, um, with sacks and TFLs. Um, let's see here. Yeah, I think, I think him – Eight and a half sacks in 2019, six in 2018. Um, I mean, he's he can do it. He was hurt last year, so I'm kind of throwing away last year. But, I mean, keeping him in Cincinnati is 
is just wonderful for the yeah. for the culture. Yeah, I think oh yeah for the culture, but I also think that for ten mil a year, his ceiling is more than ten mil a year. Yep. So I think it's a great investment for this defense, and I think that it's going to pay off for him. Yeah, the Bengals finally being smart with how they spend their money. Um, I mean, just flipping back to DBs for a second to get Chidobe Awuje and Mike Hilton for the same price they would have paid for that overrated bum William Jackson. Love it. Uh, and, and the only reason I say that about William Jackson is because he went to Washington and he talked shit about Bengals fans when he had zero reason to. Okay. We supported him. Um, I liked him, but he played like a dumbass. So if you want to go talk shit, why don't you go play for a team that just went seven and nine and somehow won their division? He's going to be irrelevant. I'm glad he's gone. He is, he was a cancer in the locker room. I'm glad that he's gone him and Dem- Dunlap both. I'm glad they're gone. Yeah. Um, but the second piece of extension news, Jesse Bates, the third Jeremy Fowler tweets the other day that uh, it doesn't appear that a deal is anywhere in the offing between Bates and the Bengals. Um, I, my instant reaction to this was anger and outrage with the Blackburns because Katie Blackburn has been in charge of this negotiation with Jesse Bates. So my instant reaction was anger with her. Um, but I, I totally slipped my mind and I had totally forgot that Jesse Bates had just hired that, uh, super agent. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Mulgetta, Mugaletta, however you say his name. And so I am to the point where I think what this, my spin on this news is that, uh, it was a plant or a leak from Jesse Bates agent to try to maybe pressure the Bengals into uh, uh, offering him a little bit more money. That being said, I am not at all worried about him not signing an extension. He has said he wants to be in Cincinnati. Uh, the Bengals, if they are true to their word and their goal is to develop and and uh, keep guys in their system, then they will pay Jesse Bates. I think it's just a matter of when. Um, and if, if I'm Jesse Bates and – Think about this. I think uh, Minka Fitzpatrick is a free agent this offseason. Tyron Matthews is going to be a free agent this offseason. And a couple other safeties are going to be free agents this offseason. If he goes out, the Bengals have a really good season, and Jesse Bates is the leader of that defense and has another great season, he will get top safety money. And so if they don't have a deal going into the season, I think that it's bad for the Bengals from the standpoint of, his price is going to go up, but it's great for Jesse Bates in that he is going to get utterly paid by the Bengals uh, by having this faith in himself. But also, I mean, let's be honest, if he has another great season, yes, it costs the Bengals more money, but it's still great for the Bengals if they re-sign him. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. Bates, so. and, and the worst case scenario um, for Bengals fans like myself that had originally ripped their hair out at hearing this news the good news is they can still franchise tag him if they wanted to um, and pay him what Justin Simmons is making, which is what Jesse Bates should be making anyways. So I, I don't think there is a real reason to worry here because both sides want to get a deal done. And I have faith that, that a deal will get done. Um, but great for Jesse Bates and yeah. power to the player because he is going to, I think he is going to have another great season and he is going to get, a ton of money from having that great season. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, me personally, I, I, I root for the players to get money, um, you know, within reason for the team. Cause you know, yeah. you want your team salary cap to still, you know, be flexible. But I think I, I love that Jesse Bates is, you know, not taking less for what his talents are worth. So I, I, I respect that from him. Yeah. I appreciate him valuing his, his services. Um, maybe he can teach, value to a certain fantasy football manager on this call right now. Um, but yeah, so moving on, uh, I think that kind of hits on the main talking points I wanted to talk about with sort of off season news. Um, and then switching back to training camp for a little bit. I think the, the discussion we need to have now is offensive line. Um, it's kind of the elephant in the room when you talk about the Bengals, uh, obviously, um, Jonah Williams picked up 
10 or 15 pounds this offseason, comes into camp at 320. He has supposedly looked like the franchise left tackle that the Bengals drafted him to be. I don't think either of us had any concerns about Jonah Williams being a cornerstone. No, yeah, no, not 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 Jonah Williams. Yeah. Um, Riley Reef has apparently looked solid. Um, and I think having those two guys as bookends are very solid. Um Quinton Spain is is sort of pretty much all the way to a lock to be the starting left guard on opening day. Um, and I really don't have a problem with that. I think he played very well last year. Yeah, and then obviously Trey Hopkins. Trey Hopkins at center. Um, and then we get to that damn right guard position. That damn right guard position. So the first first depth chart came out and um, it had Michael Jordan listed as the starting right guard. Now I want to just say something before we talk about the right guard position. It is going to be, I think Michael Jordan can be a starting right guard. Let me just say that. I think he can be because he's put in a lot of work this off season and apparently his body looks good and all that. But it is going to be a PR nightmare for this coaching staff and this team if Michael Jordan starts on opening day against Minnesota. And we don't need to go through why, because we all know why, but it's going to be a nightmare. And they just got to – They, I think there is a – do you think – I'll phrase this question this way. Do you think that there is a higher bar for Michael Jordan – Michael Jordan has to be this good to be the starting right guard, whereas Suofilo has to be this good because Michael Jordan has that burden of proof that because he got Burrow hurt last year, he has to be that much better than the next guy for us to trust him again. Do you think that's a thing at all? Um, you know, I, I don't think that is from the, you know, from the coaching staff's perspective. I think that they're going to put the best guy out there that they think can protect Joe, but I think it kind of messes with Joe's head a little bit if opening day, you know, he's starting a right guard. And I know that, I know that, you know, they both went to Ohio state um, and, you know, they're friends, but at the same time, it's like, I, I mean, I don't know if he's unsure about the knee and the, you know, Michael Jordan's still starting a right guard. I think it's, you know, it could be kind of a problem. Yeah. Um, I, I struggle with that, but moving on down the depth chart, we'll, we'll come back and we'll talk about the position as a whole. Uh, second on the depth chart was Xavier Suofilo. Um, and then surprisingly, and I think one of the biggest stories of training camp is Jackson Carmen buried, for lack of a better term, on the depth chart at right guard. Yeah, so I think, uh, I, honestly, I, I don't take too much consideration to that because I don't think that, I mean, he, 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 he's changing positions from left tackle to right guard. Yes, there is an adjustment period. So, so for us to expect him to, in a week and a half of training camp to, to, to be a starting caliber right guard in the NFL going from left tackle, I don't think it's very realistic in my opinion. No, no, I, I, I don't disagree. I think the disappointment from me and from Bengals fans alike is that, okay, we knew the offensive line was a problem last year. Everybody knew it. Um, even dead people knew that that was a problem last year. You draft Jackson Carmen, and on draft night, what is said is Jackson Carmen is coming in to be a starting guard. Okay, that's that's fine. So I think that him being third on the depth chart right now, after two weeks of training camp, what it tells me is that either we overestimated his football IQ thinking that this transition would not take as long as it has, or we misevaluated the fact that he could be a guard. And I do think it's too early to have those reactions, but those are my initial reactions to it because I'm thinking, okay, we've got a guy that we drafted as a fourth rounder from Eastern Carolina who weighed 283 pounds playing left tackle in college. And he's our second string left guard. What is Jackson Carmen doing or not doing that makes him the third string at right guard behind two guys who, quite frankly, 
would not start at a lot of guard positions on an NFL team. I mean, that, that, that's a great point. I think it just it's going to take some time to see how he develops in the next couple of weeks before the before the season starts. No, yeah, I, I don't. I think I think a lot of us, myself included, had a false impression that he was going to be the starting right guard on opening day, and, and I will eat my crow on that. Um, I think that it has become glaringly obvious that it, it's going to be sort of a season long project for him to, to move to right guard and take over that uh, position. But I think that it was, it is fair to have an expectation that he's going to at least compete for the starting job. I mean, right now it doesn't even look like he's competing. He, um, to me, it looks like he is sort of the, the last guy in the room. I mean, he's not in danger of getting cut, but it's not a very good look for a team that drafted this guy to be the right guard, it's not a good look that he is not even in the two deep. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I agree with you hundred percent. Um, so I'll kind of get off my soapbox, uh, it, from that aspect. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to kind of take up time on that soliloquy, but I think it's worthwhile to note that, you know, I think we both feel comfortable with, the other four positions on the offensive line. Yeah, I feel comfortable with both tackles. I feel comfortable with Trey Hopkins. I think Quentin Spain is a, you know, an average guard. And I think that, I th- I don't I think it's understated, um, how much it means to not have the human turnstile out there at right tackle this season. I think not having Bobby Hart on the roster is the greatest thing of all time. Yeah, um, I mean that that right side of the offensive line last year was was basically you and me out there. Yeah. It was, it was uglier than sin to put it simply. Um, so having a guy with the veteran stature and the, uh, the reputation and, and the accolades that Riley reef has, I feel very confident about right tackle. And I do believe that somewhere among the three of Suofilo, Jordan and, uh, Carmen, there is a competent right guard in there. Just got, I mean, I think, I think it's going to take some time to figure out who that is. Yeah. Uh, and luckily there's three preseason games and still a month left until it really matters. Um, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be a Bengals podcaster if I wasn't slightly concerned um, about what's going on at right guard right now. Um and then just sort of overall, the depth on the offensive line, this Deontay Smith guy, I think, is just wow. I mean. Well, I mean, when he got drafted, Mel Kuyper was all over him because – or like like raving about him because he has great talent. He just weighed 280. Yep. So he said if he puts, if he puts pounds on and can keep it on, he's going to be a, a good NFL player. Yeah. He – I think – uh, the underrated storyline of camp has been the fact that he has really come on the scene. I think he's up to 320 now. Um, yeah, that I think that's what he said in an interview the other day. So he is looking very good. Um, and the fact that he has this newfound position versatility, I mean, fuck, you, you draft him. He is, he has tackle written all over him. I mean, he had tackle written all over him. I didn't, and, Jonah's playing left, so I was thinking, you know, he sits he sits a year, plays right tackle after Riley Reef, you know, if we if we don't resign him or something like that. I never would have thought he was gonna play guard. No, I, I think that's the last thing in the world any of us expected. And I think that bodes well for his development as this season goes along. And you know, this is obviously it's, it's 13 months away. I would not be shocked at all if he was a starting player on the offensive line next season i would not i would not be surprised at all um so yeah i mean the offensive line i think it has been less of a storyline than a lot of people make it out to be this camp i think there is one position with uncertainty versus three last year um all we need is average that's all we need 
what's the was it what's the saying we used on here once before the difference between average and good in the NFL is much less than the difference between average and bad oh yeah yeah so, yeah we said that all you and need that's, to be average I mean that's that's absolutely true I mean an average to a good NFL player that I mean the, really the difference is not a lot but when no. I mean we've seen as Bengals fans we've seen bad alignment that's bad yeah like there, there's a big difference between having a turnstile there and just having an average guy who gives up four or five sacks a year. There's a big difference. Alex Redmond is a name that comes to mind. <laughs> Alex Redmond. I, it's, it's a good thing. I don't have to watch him get thrown out. I, I, I started to feel bad for the guy. I mean, he's getting thrown out there and he can't compete with those D tackles. You know what I mean? Like David Bell putting Sean Doolittle in the game. I don't want. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Um, we'll get to the Reds in a second. Um, sort of the last thing I think I wanted to hit on was looking ahead to the game Saturday night. Um, Joe Burrow is not going to play. Um, I would imagine that any guy that has any sort of injury is not going to play. Um, so what are you looking forward to seeing on Saturday night? If anything, honestly, I'm just looking, uh, I'm excited to watch live football for a team that I care about. I thought that, you know, the, the, the Hall of Fame games was terrible. I mean, oh, that was, was, like, was like watching paint dry. But I think, you know, watching Bengals, wa- watching guys who are in position battles try to perform, even though there aren't as many position battles this year, I think it's going to be important to see some of the guys, you know, get their feet wet for the first game. Yeah. Um, I think the key positions to be watching on Saturday night are going to be, I think there's three positions to watch. I think the first one is going to be the defensive line and who they rotate in. Um, Khalid Kareem has supposedly had a pretty solid camp. Uh, Cam Sample is officially back from injury. I doubt, I doubt we will see him, but Larry Ogunjobi has started practicing again. Um, So we'll see what happens there. And then Tyler Shelvin, Mike Daniels, Josh Tupo. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what those guys do uh, uh, Saturday night if they're in the game. Joseph Osai as well. So I think that'll be probably the most uh, interesting position on that side of the ball to watch. On the offensive side of the ball, we hit on it already. I think watching uh, the rotation at right guard um, and seeing who's getting the reps and who's looking good in those reps is going to be very interesting. Um, and I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see the rotation that they do at running back. Um, I don't expect Joe Mixon to play a lot Saturday night. I don't think anybody does. Um, but I think after Joe Mixon, you know, let's face it, he's got some durability concerns, so we need to figure out a pecking order behind him. So I think it's going to be very important to see who rotates in behind him. Yeah. And also I was thinking about this. I wanted to ask, uh, your thoughts. Do you think Puka Williams is going to make the roster? You think he's gonna be a practice squad guy? Cause I've heard he's been, I've heard in the reps that he's gotten, he's been playing pretty well. Yeah, so apparently they've moved him, and he is sort of in that Demetric Felton role now where he's going back and forth, running back receiver. Um, so I, I we'll see. I think uh, most of the quote-unquote experts or the beat writers that follow the Bengals say it's down to – I think it's him and Trent Taylor for one of those last few spots. I would, I would personally lean towards Trent Taylor because I would think that you can sneak a guy like Puka onto the practice squad. Um, but that's a great, that's another guy to watch on Saturday night is Puka Williams. First of all, all name team. That's a freaking awesome name. Yeah. Second thing. And I'm going to tell all of our listeners this before they say it on the broadcast, he has, it's either his left or his right foot. He's got, uh, no toes. So he's got five toes total. Um, but yeah, I, I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens with him as, as camp goes on. Yeah, I I, that, I just wanted to ask because I I saw him. Um, he's actually he's even featured on their social media too. That's why I was asking because like they'll put pictures of him up, and I'm like, that's kind of weird to put up an undrafted rookie. Uh, you know, some of his pictures up on the social media. Yeah, so. yeah. I would expect Brandon Allen, um, Joe Burrow's probably Joe Burrow. What first of all, Joe Burrow's not playing Saturday night. I would expect Brandon Allen to get three quarters worth of reps just because not for his sake, but for the sake of everybody else to have sort of at least a competent guy under center. Um, No offense, Kyle Shermer and no offense to uh, 
the other guy, Dungey, I think, yeah. um, you're not you're not making the team. So it'll be a heavy dose of Brandon Allen um, on Saturday night, I imagine. And I think we're going to see a lot of Chris Evans, Samaj P. Ryan, Travion Williams uh, on Saturday night as well. Um, and I think it'll be good for the first team defense to get a series or two against Tom Brady. I was really about to say that. I think it, I think it's going to be important to see how they play those first couple series. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to Saturday night. Like you said, it's it's just going to be great to have live football back. Period. Um, Bengals debuting their new uniforms Saturday night as well um, with black tops, white pants, orange stripes on the pants. So be nice to see those uh, in action against the uh tampa bay buccaneers the defending super bowl champs mm-hmm. um so that about wraps up all the content that i think we wanted to get through today but you know maybe you forgot we do have a couple of segments we like to do at the end yeah so we'll get into those first of all the trivia segment I have come up with a question, unless you have one. Oh, it's all you. It's all right. You. Tonight's trivia question is sponsored by the University of Cincinnati women's soccer team. Alec, you have a plug that you would like to make there? Yeah. So uh, if anybody's in or around Cincinnati, Ohio, 6 p.m. Saturday, uh, UC women's soccer team plays Dayton. Uh, come on out if you guys want to see some good soccer played. And what is your connection to the University of Cincinnati women's soccer team? Um, my my girlfriend plays for the team, so if you guys could come out and support, that would be that would be awesome. Very good, very good. So yeah, tonight's trivia question is sponsored by them. Hopefully, or maybe we can give them an NIL contract. We could, um, we could. We yeah. Could. We could. Why don't you Why don't you Venmo your girlfriend like ten dollars, and that'll be our uh, her sponsorship uh, yeah, fee. We, we could write We could write it off on our taxes. Yeah, yeah, we'll write it off. Um, so tonight's trivia question is twofold. First question is how many jersey numbers do the Bengals have retired? Is it A1, B0, or C3? Knowing Mike Brown, and I don't know, I, sw- I don't know the answer to this, I swear to God. I'm going to go B. Zero is your answer. Yeah. That is incorrect. Okay, what what is it? What is it? There is one jersey number retired. Is it? Is it okay. A Anthony Munoz. B Greg Cook, or C Bob Johnson. I feel like Anthony Munoz is way too obvious here. <laughs> but I'm have to, I'm gonna have to go Anthony Munoz. Your answer is A for Anthony Munoz. That is also incorrect. It is Bob Johnson. No way. And the only reason that his number is retired by the Cincinnati Bengals is because he was the first ever draft pick by the Cincinnati Bengals. I like that. He was a center from the University of Tennessee, and he was selected with the second overall pick in the 1968 draft. And his number 54 is the only number currently retired by the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that needs to change. <laughs> Maybe we'll get, we might get uh, numbers retired uh, with ring of honor happening. I mean, 78, 14, and I think Ken Riley was 13. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think we could be looking at, uh, well, they really should retire 14 for your boy, Andy Dalton, right? Well, and Carson Palmer, number nine. I, I remember going to that Raiders game when he first came back and a guy had taped over the Palmer and made his, made his last name quitter. So <laughs> maybe we'll, maybe we'll have to do that. All right. Last segment of the show. Well, one more thing before, one, yeah. one more thing before the Reds update, we got a happy belated birthday. Oh, we do. Yeah. Well, to our Lord and savior, Mike Brown. Oh yeah. It was his 86th birthday on Tuesday. Yes. So happy, happy birthday, Mike. Hey, he's spending money now. I don't care. Happy, happy birthday, Mike. I, I sent him a check. So um, <laughs> hopefully he can put that to good use. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Didn't mean to say your thunder. Here we go. No, 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 no. It's your thunder. Cause you were, you and I are both. Um, I'm on a sabbatical. So 
Reds update. It's obviously been a long time since we've updated the Reds. Um, this team is 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 bipolar as all hell. Um, they will win five in a row and then lose. What are we at? Three in a row now. Yeah. Um. At this point, so here's what I'll say. I'm not going to be the negative guy that I've been all season uh, the rest of August because if they can get it down to four games by the end of August, I think they have a chance in the division. Yeah, in the division. Yeah, in the division. And I think that – so I looked up a stat. Padres have 29 games. So for the, this is for the wild card race. Padres have 29 games – versus 500 teams are better and the reds have 14 and what they're four and a half back now from the padres in the wild card yeah. and the reds also have nine more games left against the pirates yes the reds have, yeah the reds have 18 percent of their games left against the pittsburgh pirates so i think i mean the worst team in baseball they've started to throw in the towel so and so they've got nine against the pirates they've still got three against the nationals at home and then they've got seven against the Marlins still. They've still got um, maybe six or seven games against the Cubs and then six or seven left against the Cardinals. It's there for the taking for them to do their part. And that's all we can worry about is them doing their part. Yeah. It, yeah. The Brewers, neither you or I think the Brewers are anything special. They, they just beat the shit out of bad teams and they play a lot of bad teams. I mean, it's it, it, comparable to like what, I, and this is a weird, weird uh, comparison. It's kind of like what the Ravens do. Yep. Like they're nothing special, like, but they have good guys, but they just beat the hell out of bad teams. Yeah. They, the Brewers beat the hell out of bad teams. Um, but I, the Reds need to get, it's, it's kind of hilarious that we're still sitting here in August we're four months into the season and the uh, exact talking point that we had at the beginning of the season that the bullpen sucked is still the talking point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But, but uh, I think that even if the Reds don't, you know, make the playoffs this year, I think the future, it does look bright because I think, you know, Jonathan India is looking great. Tyler Stevenson's hitting for a high. They're both hitting over 280, number one and number two for rookies in the NL and batting average. Um, Joey Votto's banging again. I think Jesse Winker's looking really good. So I, I think that I think there's promise, but I think that with Nick Castellano still being there this year, I think this is their best opportunity for a little bit to, you know, to make a run. So yeah. if, they, if they just get in. Joey Votto is currently tied for second in the National League in home runs. And he's tied for fifth in RBIs. At the age of 37. At the wily age of 37. That's crazy. If there was any doubt, and I had it, if there was any doubt about whether or not he was a first ballot Hall of Famer, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And if it's not first ballot, he's getting in on the first. Oh. Two or three. Listen, if Derek Jeter can get in with – he did – no, Jeter didn't get unanimous. He got 99.7. If Jeter can get in with what his stats were, and, and let's just face it, and I'm going to whisper this softly so that if any Yankees fans are listening, they can tune out. Um, Derek Jeter would not have gotten 99.7% of the vote if he wasn't a Yankee. <laughs> so we'll just say that. With that, um, worst shooting percentage for a position player of all time. Yeah, yeah, we were informed of that by by a good friend of the program. Uh, I'm not going to mention his name because no free advertisements for him. Um, but yeah, so I, Joey Votto, I think is without a doubt first ballot Hall of Famer, um, and uh, you know he is he is carrying this team right now. I mean Jesse Winker is is hitting the ball well, and Jonathan India should win Rookie of the Year, but. Joey Votto, because of that Nick Castellanos absence, I mean, that's when he went on his home run streak. He has carried this team for the last month now. So, uh, Yeah, I mean, again, I think it – I'm not really too sure if we're going to win the division, but I think wild card is definitely in play with those Padres. So, Yeah. Um, I'm on the record as saying I do not want to play in the wild card because I know they're going to lose. Um First of all, because they have it, they would fly out to the West Coast and have to play the Dodgers or the Giants. 
And second of all, they would have to play the Dodgers or the Giants. So, you know. Yeah, it's a little bit. And it's a one game. If you if we play the Dodgers in the wild card, I mean, we we might as well chalk it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that about does it, man. I think this was this was good. We got it done. We got people in and out of here in about an hour 15. Um, so, and covered a lot of ground. Yeah, I, I think this is just a, a bigger episode because we haven't we haven't been here in three months. So we haven't been here in three months. Um, it was great to be back. Football is a is officially back tonight. Is the first yep. slate of preseason games that uh, involve two good teams. Um, sorry, sorry, <laughs> Pittsburgh. Sorry, Dallas. We, we don't have to watch Ben DiNucci tonight. Yeah. Um, I think we have Washington football team and the Patriots tonight and we have the Steelers and the Eagles tonight. So Mac Jones, be a good night of football. So uh, enjoy that everybody. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, enjoy the Bengals preseason game, 7 30 PM Saturday night in Tampa against the Buccaneers. Um, with that, I think all we got to say is, is who day, who day. <laughs>